welcome to the Spill the OT podcast. I am very excited. Today we are talking to Lara. She is an occupational therapist who lives and works in Sydney, Australia. So I'm so excited to talk to somebody from a different continent all together. And she shares about her experience working as a mental health community occupational therapist and a little bit about what that looks like for her and her practice, what type of clients she sees, what type of intervention she completes, and just what a day-to-day looks like for her. So I loved her energy. She is a dancer and so fun. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode. So I kind of came to occupational therapy quite late. I went off to do my undergrad, so the bachelor degree, um, when I was like fresh 18 and I had no idea what I was doing. Changed my course three times and I studied public health and human nutrition was my major. And I just like nothing really lit a fire under me with that. And I took, I think, four years off and I traveled. I lived in Canada. I had met a girl who was studying occupational therapy, I think, when I was in Bali at some point. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. What is that, though? Like, I'm sure you've heard that so many times. What is occupation? Oh, so like you help people get jobs. Um, so yeah, then it kind of stuck with me and I'm not sure if this will translate um, and I don't know how to kind of explain. I'm sure you have a similar program where um, it's like affordable housing for people that are more vulnerable. So we call it like government housing. It's like a community. It was a community services job really. So I went for a support worker role within that organization, didn't get it. And then um, was in admin and I learned so much and I was like, wow, I really love working in mental health. And then I, by the end of that job, um, I had ended up getting into the support worker role and found that I was really burnt out and ended up when I, I enrolled in my master's in occupational therapy after that because I thought I needed like more of a focus. Support work is just so general. And then I thought, no, I can't do mental health. Like it's, it's, it's too, um, I'm not, I'm not made out. I'm not cut out for it. But yeah, I did my master's through Sydney University and I think in my last semester was my mental health unit. And I thought, oh my God, I've been doing everything wrong. No wonder I had such a hard time in that job. I just had no idea. I can pinpoint so many moments where I was like, oh, that was really intrusive on the client or that was the really unfair thing to say or not very sensitive. Um, So then like I had my final practical last year. So I'm actually very fresh. Like I finished in November last year, my study. So I, yeah, I had my last practical field work with this organization. We're a private mental health clinic and it's outpatient. And yeah, they get, they offered me a job at the end of it. So that was really exciting. Um, And also really helpful because I already had a client base and I already knew the team. So I kind of like had that really nice segue into the role because I'd been there for a while. So I felt really comfortable. And um, so, yeah, I, I rolled over into like a support worker role until, um, or it was like a allied health assistant role until um, 
very late. Like I got my registration in March, I think, or was it April? I can't even remember this. Everything's gone so quickly, but yeah, I, I applied for my registration as an OT quite late because I just didn't want to be doing anything remotely similar to assignments, which was like filling out the form for the registration. So I was doing support work for a while, but now I'm finally like starting the real OT stuff. So yeah, it's been, it's been a lot, lot better. (laughs) That's so cool that you were able to travel for four years. I am incredibly jealous. That sounds amazing. Coming back and forth, like my parents' house was my base. So I was kind of, yeah, back and forth, but yeah. I love the idea of like a gap year or gap years. Just so you can go like find yourself and figure out like what you're actually wanting to do with your life. Yeah, yeah. And I think that was so important. And I think in hindsight, I should have done it at 18 when everyone does it. But whatever, have one in, the mid- in your mid-20s. It's fine. <laughs> have one in your 50s, 60s, 90s. <laughs> Yeah, the one thing that resonated with me was when you said that you felt like you did everything wrong. I've so been there where like I've had a treatment plan and then I've gone back and I was like, well, I would handle that differently. But (laughs) I do think that at the end of the day, if you're doing your best, I think, you know, you don't come into this field unless you have compassion. Mm -hmm. If you're coming from a place of compassion, that's better than where a lot of people are starting off with. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. So what type of clients do you work with? So I have, I think, one adolescent at the moment. Um, I had a lot more when I was running the group programs, but with COVID, there's, we've had to shut all of that down. I've got a lot in like the mid-20s range and, and a lot of adults, which I like. I don't know. I always, it's weird. I went into OT wanting to do pediatrics and then I came out of it with absolutely zero pediatric experience, but had forgotten that that was even what I wanted to do. And now I've realized like, I don't know whether it's because adults are easier for me to talk to in the mental health setting. I'm not sure if, yeah, I just really find that that's my, my group that I thrive with. That's awesome. Well, I think when I originally started, I only intended to work in mental health. I wanted to go into psychology and then I didn't know what exactly to do there. So then I found OT and realized it had so many roots in mental health. And I have had zero experience in mental health besides a level two field work. So it's just interesting. You just don't know. That's what they kept saying at uni. They said, you know, yeah, you might want to do that now, but just wait. Don't don't count your chickens before they hatch. Totally. So what types of diagnoses do the people you work with have? And then what would an average session for you look like? So um, I we have a lot of clients that are on the autism spectrum and that's probably like one of my favorite groups to work with. I think it's super rewarding, um, really heartwarming and they just have such a unique perspective on life and I think that that's just a really beautiful thing and it's really cool when you can see them in groups together interacting um, and just having like each other that they really resonate with. Schizophrenia forms a huge, I think, part of my caseload and a lot of people's at work and that comorbidity of schizophrenia, uh, ASD and psychosis and schizophrenia, we see a lot in our clinic but I have clients that are um, hoard, have hoarding disorder, obsessive compulsive, 
Um, a really interesting diagnosis that we have is it's called pathological demand avoidance. So you have to be really careful with how you ask these clients. You have to really ask them, like, would this be okay? Instead of saying, we need to do this, you know, because they will see that as a demand and then they'll just shut down and withdraw. But definitely a lot of anxiety, especially with, um, we're seeing it with really the adolescents. And I, it's just every time they have a, a new problem that's caused them more anxiety, it's social media related which is really quite sad because, I mean, with, there's so many beautiful things with social media. Like it's, it's helping us connect, especially now when we're isolating. But then uh, you also see some um, bullying and, and I guess uh, their self-image. Yeah, there's a lot of anxiety surrounding like image and self-esteem with that. So, yeah. Quite a range. That was probably like, there's so many more, but that's, those are the main ones that spring to mind that I work with. I wasn't expecting you to say ASD was included in your clinic. So are you doing more life skills and mental health or do you stick more on just the mental health side? And and what, what would a session look like? It's so varied. So um, certain people I'm doing life skills with and, and yeah, it is interesting, but with ASD, they actually into their adult life, a lot of them become super anxious and because of their fixations. And so that's where I guess they come into our clinic or they've been known to us from, um, we have like a program that brings them in from school if we've got school refusers. Um, but so at the moment, what I'm doing is we've got a national disability insurance scheme. And for people to be able to apply and get all that funding, they need um, a lot of the time an OT report. So lately I've been doing a lot of functional assessments and observations and then writing up like full reports of like what type of care each client will need. So I probably use some assessments. I mean, everything seems to be from North America. The care and need scale. Does that ring a bell? I don't know. That's me, but I'm still in like school mode. Most of my assessments are ones that I deliver in the school model. I'm learning the outpatient models as I go, but um, most of my assessments are all school-based right now. Right, right. Okay. So the care and need scale, it just goes down and it's like, it's got a few different ratings on it, but essentially you're seeing whether they need supervision, standby assistance, physical assistance, verbal cues and prompting. And that gives you a picture of, yeah, what, what their needs are in, in like all the ADLs and IADLs and then like very basic ADLs as well. I'll do a sensory profile sometimes. With the smaller reports, if the clients have less fun funding to pay for the service, then I, I won't do that. But the Allen's cognitive levels um, is always really important to do. Um, we try and do one of those like every time we meet a client. I had so much trouble doing the Cordovan stitch. I I always tell my clients, I'm like, it's okay if you can't get this one. I had several meltdowns over it. I cannot relate more. I remember bringing the stitch home to my dorm when I was in college and like 
literally trying to get it done because we had to do a whole wallet using the double Cordovan. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. So stressful. Oh my goodness. So yeah, that's, that's another big one that we use, but then yeah, back to um, your question about a typical session. It really depends on whether they need the life skills training or whether it's, I guess, rooted in more psychological principles. Today with a client, I was going over anger management and, and we were looking at the cycles of anger and um, making like anger thermometers and that kind of thing. Um, motivational interviewing I use a lot. <laughs> I love the sound of this. The more that I talk to people who work in mental health, the more I think I want to dip my toes into it. So how long do you usually see your clients for? And then over what period of time will you see them? Usually on average, I would say an hour and a half. If I'm doing a lot of assessments, then it'll be two hours, especially like initial interviews. And I try, it depends on how, I guess, overwhelmed or what what the, I, I really read the client when I'm doing those initials because sometimes they're giving a lot of, especially when there's a lot of PTSD and trauma there, it's, you know, they're giving you quite deeply personal information. So I find like, I just have to really pick up on their body language with what more I can do with them. And at the moment, with the functional assessments and observations and report, I will generally do 20 hours with them. And then I may not see them ever again, or they may decide that they want me as their OT because with that funding they get from the disability insurance scheme, they can then choose their provider. Um, so, you know, it, it puts the power in the consumer's hands. Um, but then there are some that we've had that have been known to the clinic. Like I was actually checking an appointment for a client today and I noticed that he'd been known to our clinic since 2014. So yeah, we always, my boss who is wonderful always says, I don't discharge my patients. They discharge me. <laughs> I like that a lot. So I guess it sounds like it's a little more fluid and if they were to stay on for therapy and they met their 20 hours, there's always a way to get them more if they feel like they want it. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes that funding like can be a little bit, lately it's been very, very skint. Like I've never seen it that low. It's all like categorized and yeah, I've lately, I've actually been having to write like extra reports. I've got some new clients coming in to say why that funding is not enough. It was like $1,500 for capacity building, which is where OT comes out of. And like, it's just, it, that's ridiculous because that wouldn't even, I don't even think that would be 20 hours. Do you know what I mean? So right. yeah, sometimes they don't get that option, which is really quite sad. Um, and you really have to advocate for them. So do you primarily see people one-on-one -on -one or do you ever run groups? Yes. So we, myself and the other new grad that started, we split the groups. So every second Friday we sort of rotate, but then I was doing like, a, yeah, two days, basically two days, one week, three days rotating, if that makes sense. We had a yoga group, but it didn't really take off. <laughs> Um, it's hard to get some of our kids to want to go out and like do things with their body. Um, a lot of them are really into art and anime. So our Wednesday art group is always full. 
Um, we do a group called Urban Adventure where we're based in the city, our clinic. So we take them out somewhere in the city and they, they meet other kids or other adults in the group that they can connect with. And we've had some really nice moments where they've actually made friends and they're hanging out now, which is really sweet. We did a doggy rescue group where we take them to a shelter and they walk dogs for the charity so that the, yeah, help out in that way. And then Friday we take them to this sailing little like bay and we teach them to sail, not us. There is a man that facilitates and then we pick up rubbish out of the harbour. I want to go to this. This sounds really fun. It's so great. I'm actually quite sad because I'm like, oh, I'm, my caseload is so full at the moment that I don't know whether I can run any groups going back. So, yeah. So what does full look like for you and what does an average day look like for you? So it's, it is quite busy because we're outreach, so we're just driving and I can be like today I had three clients but on complete one was like out in the west of Sydney and then I come home and I'm like doing my admin and shoving food in my mouth and I'm off to my other client and you know you're in the car doing notes hotspotting your phone to try and get things done scanning things off your like mobile app but I do have supervision on Monday for an hour and a half, which is awesome, and a Thursday for an hour. So it's really nice to break my week up as well to have the days where I don't have supervision. I try and get as many home visits done as possible so that the days where I have the meetings, I can ask all the questions that kind of pop up when I'm starting to write the reports, for example, and do all my admin stuff. A lot of questions pop up. So I try and leave those admin days to when we have the meet supervision meetings. This sounds really interesting. So we have home health here, but home health will usually look like either early intervention where you go and work with pediatrics from zero to three, or typically it's with older adults and you go visit them in the home. Not necessarily, it could be absolutely somebody younger, but I would say overwhelmingly it's for physical disabilities. You have a home-based clinic that you treat some of your clients in, or is it all kind of out in the community or in their homes? So it's a it's a bit of both. We have we have the opportunity to do it in the clinic. We are in a building that is like a shared office space, so we can book the external meeting rooms, or you know, the clients can meet at the clinic and we'll take them to a cafe. But I don't know, I don't like doing, I think I'm a really loud talker. And so I feel like being in public sometimes is not good for my clients when they're telling me personal things. But yeah, I mainly go to their homes because I feel like occupational therapy, when you're looking at someone's function and you want to assess their life skills, you want to see them in their natural environment, right? So it's it's always good to do it that way. Um, but I'm not always in their home. You know, sometimes I might be doing transport training because I've um, I've had clients in the past that have PTSD or or severe anxiety and avoidance around public transport. So that's, or it could be even if they we want to challenge the anxiety at a shopping mall when when it's really busy. We might go and grade that. So we'll we'll go when it's really quiet and then we'll start like increasing the time or increasing like by going on a busier time of the day. 
That's so functional and meaningful. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's it's so great, I think, for someone like me because it's always different. And I'm someone that it's not that I get bored easily, but I I get I think when I'm in a groove, I'm not problem solving as much and I'm not I don't know, I like a challenge, I guess. It sounds really cool. So as you're listening to the podcast, are there ever things that you're like, oh my God, it's so different here in Australia or here in Sydney? Like, are there anything? Yeah, actually, I found it really interesting, the podcast about the, was it traveling OT? And like, I guess how you, you guys have like packages for that and you'll just pick up and move for a set amount of time and then you're off somewhere else. I think that's so cool. Yeah. So they don't have something like that in Australia? Not that I know of. Well, not that I, they probably do, but I, I don't think it's, it's not very common. Okay. So yeah. So here it's pretty much contract work, but a lot of therapists will do it specifically for like traveling. Some will just work in their area. So if they're in like North Carolina, they can work probably their whole career and just keep picking up different contracts. Yeah. And other people just travel the country and you know, it's small duration. So it's a low commitment. I don't know whether I would miss my clients. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that's me not setting good boundaries with myself, but I feel like I, I love forming connections with the clients, but I absolutely love the idea of just being able to have a new contract and be in a new city. It's so cool. Yeah, it definitely has its pros and cons. Like it pays really well, which is great, but yeah. they put you in a place that usually they need help. That's why they're willing to pay that uh, price. So yeah. Unless it's a very specific reason why, like usually, usually there's a reason, whether it's location or the facility itself, there's usually some sort of reason why they're, they're needing you. Right. Do you have any social media or something that you want people to follow you on? We don't, but I feel like we should have a social media for our organization. That would be cool. Um, But yeah, people are welcome to follow me. They won't see much um, OT, but they will see a lot of um, dance videos because I'm a dancer and that's just how I spend most of my time outside of work. But um, yeah, I think... A piece of advice, maybe, I don't know if this is going to be relevant for US um, OTs, but if you're looking for a job as a new grad, you can probably understand this. Having like a lot of supervision and a multidisciplinary team has been the best for me because you just get everybody's perspective. Um, And I don't know, it helps you to decide which kind of therapist you want to personally be. Hey everybody, I am so genuinely excited to tell you about MedBridge. So MedBridge is a continuing ed site and they have tons of continuing ed courses all available online. You can stream them at your own pace. They also have home exercise plans, which are incredible. You can literally build your own plan with pictures that can perfectly suit whatever client you're working for. It's honestly so awesome. And you get unlimited CEUs. And these CEU courses are just really intriguing and exciting. Like it's 
I've done continuing and online in the past, and these ones that they select are just very much in line with what I find interesting, and I feel like you might find them interesting as well. So, are you struggling with finding the resources for your time for CEUs? With almost 2,000 accredited evidence-based streaming courses, live CEU webinars, MedBridge is your all-in-one solution. And actually, if you use my code, it's spill the OT, capital S, capital T, capital OT. So spill the OT, one word, capital S, capital T, capital OT. You can get $175 off of your year-long subscription, which is awesome. I mean, that's like significant amount of money off. So if you are interested, please go check it out. Again, use the code spill the OT, capital S, capital T, capital OT, all one word. All right. I really hope that you go check it out. Enjoy. everyone's going to do things differently. I know like a lot of the time there are certain things I should charge for. And then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to see them for the next like couple of years. So I'm not going to charge for that. That's, that's fine. I'll just do that. You know what I mean? You just, you pick up different ways that people work. And I think that that is a really nice way to grow as a therapist. I like that you said find supervision with a multidisciplinary team too, instead of just OTs, because that's so true. Like they are coming from a totally different background as well, as far as education. So just learning like what was important to their education too. And like their lens. Absolutely. It's so helpful having a social worker and a psychologist at the meeting. And sometimes our, one of the directors who's a psychiatrist will sit in as well. It's just so great hearing like, yeah, the way that they would work. And, and actually a lot of the time we'll be like, do you have capacity? Can you please take this client on? It's like perfect. (laughs) No formal referral, just like they can pop in on your session if they have time. I love that. I just see myself there for at least the next five years. I'm loving it so much. But something that I'm really passionate about is merging my love for like OT, I guess, but also dance. And I really love to start an all abilities dance studio. And I think that I guess you can't call it disability specific because that's not inclusive language, but really the target is for people who experience disability to come in and just enjoy themselves and there's no pressure and I want to make it like accessible for people in wheelchairs and having that OT perspective means that you know how you need to tailor certain routines so that's actually my my big plan my my dream I already have a name I want it to be like a dance and bar studio so I can call it all bar none so that it's like but spelt like (laughs) b-a-double-i I love that so much. Thank you. A couple of years ago, you've probably seen it, but there was this like video that had gone viral. I mean, whatever, it caught my attention. I loved it. And it was an all-inclusive dance studio. And I think it might have been with the New York Ballet or somewhere in New York. Have you seen that before? No, I'll have to look it up. There are a few floating around. I'll try and find it, but I saw it and literally... I wanted to do it. I was talking 
in our last video, like if I could do anything, I would have like an older adult dance class. Just fun, low pressure, but we do like easy things and like I can grade it for people. Yeah, yeah that's it. I don't want to have like throwback Thursday where it'll be like 90s girl bands or something like that. <laughs> Love that. Thank so, you. I think it's going to happen for you. It sounds amazing. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm so glad you did this. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad I did as well. All right. So thank you, Laura, for coming on. I'm sure after listening to this episode, everybody can share in my excitement on realizing just how wonderful and exciting it was to talk to her and having occupational therapists like her out in the field, giving us a great reputation with her fun and exciting energy and She's just so awesome, and she really makes me proud to be an occupational therapist and share in this field with her. So, as always, if you would like to come on the podcast, please email me at spilltheot at gmail.com. Please follow me on Instagram at spill underscore the underscore OT. And if you like this episode, leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Have a great day. Bye.